0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is
2: Marion Bartoli.
3: I'm Mats Willander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, this is Chris Chew from New Haven, Connecticut, currently recording from the grounds at Roland Garros. You're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
2: Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast and thank you to Chris for introducing this episode of The Tennis Podcast, recorded from Roland Garros, Chris originally from Connecticut and I presume now back in Connecticut, it'd be a very long trip to Roland Garros if he was still there. Connecticut and Roland Garros, Matt, places that we have visited,
3: both of them. That's true, yes. Uh, we went to went through Connecticut on our trip to see Bruce Springsteen. We've been to a Dunkin' Donuts in Connecticut.
2: Mm.
4: Yeah.
3: You know how to live.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can remember what I ordered from that Dunkin' Donuts so vividly. It was the beigeest food anyone has ever eaten Uh and uh, I was all like, no, no, I can't possibly eat that. And then absolutely wolfed it down and <laughs> and loved it. Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Chris. Hello, Matt. Hello, David. How Hello. are you doing?
4: Oh, all right. Very well now. Uh, I, I spent the entirety of yesterday sitting on the sofa because I wasn't feeling very well. But actually, there's something to be said for that, isn't there? Because Sunday is live sport day. And my word, did I consume all of it. I was going to say, mm.
3: David's David's Sunday... When he's ill sounds a lot like my Sunday when I'm in tip-top health, just sitting on the sofa watching I mean, it literally was the
2: same, the same as my Sunday, except I, I was fine.
4: Now I realise why you two seem to enjoy it all so much, <laughs> and I never really allow myself to do that. And so now I'm going to have to find ways of convincing myself that that is the way to live also in full health.
2: <laughs> mm, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday are good times to be ill, I would say. Um, unless, unless tennis is happening in the middle of the night, UK time, which a lot of it, a lot of it was uh, over the course of this week and this weekend, we've been relying on catch-up function. I mean, some of us have been just staying up and watching in the middle of the night, uh, much to our dog's despair. uh, But we've also been (laughs) relying on various different catch-up functions. Um, Let's start in Guadalajara, where Maria Zachary has won her second career title, her first since... Uh, the one she won in Rabat in 2019, her first and by far the biggest at 1,000 level. She beat Carolina Dollar- Caroline Dollarhide, 7563. I'm doing a Carlos Alcaraz thing, <laughs> 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 Over- <laughs> overthinking it. Caroline Dollarhide, 7563 <clears throat> in the final. En route to that final, she beat Storm Hunter, Camilla Georgi, Emiliana Arango, and Caroline Garcia. Um, who seemed to be in great form uh, up until the semi-finals, and then was was rolled by Zachary in that semi-final. It, I, I mean, you only have to look at Maria Zachary's celebration upon winning match point to know the significance of this title. I know lots of people will point to the depleted field in Guadalajara. Yes. For a 1,000 event, it was a slightly weaker field than you would ordinarily get. But, I mean, for me, the issue with Maria Sachary has not been, I mean, there have been occasions, sure, where it's been the quality of the opposition. But just as much as it's been that, standing in her way to winning titles of this size, it's been herself. And her own demons, and she still had to fight those this week in Guadalajara and yesterday in the final and in the semi final and she defeated them and it we we'll get onto the the what does it mean of it all in a moment, but just in terms of this moment from Maria Zachary, it feels absolutely huge, especially given her new outlook that she's talked about, which is. She says has helped her to win this title, which is of just enjoying it, enjoying being one of the best tennis players in the world because it's freaking great, David.
4: Yeah, it's a, a mind shift that she's undergone in order to try to change her outlook, and nobody can ever doubt how much she's wanted to win all these years. And actually, I think that's probably ended up costing her because she she tightens up, she starts spraying the ball all over the place. She loses from winning positions and, and it's a tough watch to see how much she suffers out there because she, you know, she wants it that much. And she led all that in, in the Netflix documentary as well. And, um, and it, it does. It's often made me wonder whether she could ever really fulfil potential. Well, what is her potential? I mean, I suppose I don't really know, but I feel like it's higher than what she's got to, to this point, certainly in big matches and big titles. And for her to have not won a title at all for four years and to have so repeatedly lost at semi-final and final stages against, yes, sometimes incredibly good opponents, but she's she's shown she can beat them all. On a, on a great day for her, she can kind of beat, or at least most of them, when the, if they're anywhere short of the best. Maybe an arena Sabalenka at her peak is is going to hit her, hit her off court, but she's beaten all these top players once once or one time or another. And it was very interesting to watch how after the first set of this match against Olahide, she looks to coach. Tom Hill and and he's just trying to motion to her to smile because that's the that's the way they've gone about this like all visually smile even if you don't feel like smiling just to make your face break into that and to break through the anxiousness and the anxiety and the angst that she often feels in these situations and uh, I don't know how far that can take you in 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 life but i I really Understand why they're doing that, and and given her, the the misery she was experienced at the at the U.S. Open when she lost to I think it was Massarova, and it was just it was so upsetting to see how sad she was, um and she did an interview with the WTA uh, overnight on their website and and has talked about that she's taken something from watching Coco Goff deal with it and try to f- figure out how to do it and uh, she's spoken about how how much support she feels she's got in the locker room and within the sport generally because they've seen her suffer. And uh, yes, it was a depleted field. I mean, the names you've read out there, Garcia aside, they're not the elite names. They had so many withdrawals. That should not be held against Maria Sakkari. She got through this and she won it. And she won it well.
3: Yeah, I couldn't help but be so pleased from just for her, especially off the back of, as David said, the last time we saw her at the US Open leaving that press conference in tears, uh, talking about potentially taking a break from the sport. I think her head was really scrambled. She didn't really know what to do at that at that time. That was sort of the culmination of a really tough summer with so many first-round exits at, at, at slams. Um, and then, you know, just a few weeks later, a total transformation again. Yes, in tears again, but this time, you know, tears of relief and and happiness. And that was just... That was just so great to see and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't help but notice that Gary Nathan's article dropped in my inbox on on Friday and it was it was titled You Got This, Maria and I thought that was just such an incredibly bold headline to sort of put on the on semi-final day, knowing Maria Zachary's record, you know, her sort of conversion rate in semifinals and finals, I thought, oof, does she have this? Like I really don't know. This is this is kind of where we where we find out, I think we all looked at that weekend field in in Guadalajara, but none of us picked Maria Sakkari because, as you said, the quality of the field doesn't really seem to matter so much. It's it's so much about her own game and her own ability to close. You know, she does she does so many things better than pretty much everyone in the world, Maria Zachary. She's consistently reaching the latter stages of tournaments, but this one thing, this ability to close and this ability to play loose and play free when it matters most has held her back for so long. And I think we did, you know, of course, we'll get into what does it all mean? And I don't think it does change my view massively of Maria Sachary as a tennis player. It feels, it feels a little bit maybe like when Andre Rublev won, won Monte Carlo earlier in the year, just a sort of a really nice moment for him, something that he felt like he deserved. And I think this is the same for Maria Zachary. But there were some signs that she was able to play a little bit looser and freer in those big moments in the final, which was really good to see. And if she can take that forward, then that's her transformed as a player. But I suppose that that still remains a big if. But it was great that she was able to do it for this tournament and, and finally get that big title that, that, she, that her sort of consistency deserves
2: there there were a couple of moments in the final where she seemed to have the upper hand and then she would see seed the upper hand and and you thought oh god she's she's doing the thing that she does and your my stomach sort of dropped for her but she seemed to be able to contain those moments sort of put them in a box and put them to to one side and and reset in a very coco goff esque way. I think there is so much the more I think about it, so much that she can take and is taking clearly from Coco Goff and what she's done this summer. Just just the arcs, you know. Coco Goff had to hit rock bottom losing first round of Wimbledon in order to to completely reset and freshen up her mind. Undoubtedly Maria Sakkari hit a rock bottom at the US Open. I was in the room in that press conference after she lost in the first round. The last words I heard her say were, maybe I need to take a break. I don't know. And then she crum- crumbled into tears and left the room. Those were the last things I heard from her and it was pretty devastating really. But I left the room thinking, yes, please take a break, Maria. Please, please just step away from the sport find some peace and come back fresh and I was kind of disappointed to see her not doing that and entering these these tournaments so so quickly but but more for me because it could end up being being the best thing for her and and also in the sort of micro sense within the matches you know okay she's she she doesn't no longer have the weaknesses that that she's always had. And we've talked about extensively the way her technique doesn't lend itself well to, to tightening, you know, you can, you can see it affecting um, the way she's able to hit through her shots, but Coco Goff hasn't got rid of her weaknesses either. She's just bringing her strength to bear more in matches. She's bending matches more to her will rather than letting the opponents do that to her. And, you know, Coco Goff's strength is her physicality, and the same is true of Maria Sakkari. And and the, I just think there's so much, even more than she currently is, that she can take from from Coco Goff.
3: including uh, giving a giving a shout out to her haters. She said uh, she said she's very aware of the YouTube channel which publishes her all of her semi final losses. <laughs> in the same way that Coco Goff was saying I know all the usernames on on Twitter she said I know I know the YouTube channel <laughs>
2: I didn't know about that YouTube channel
4: I'm quite glad I didn't really it's so mean-spirited uh... isn't it but but I mean I think that does go to show a how bad that run was I mean you can you know we, we've made jokes about the fact that when she's behind back at a win when she's ahead back at a lose because that's a theme that has come up and is legitimate. She she's kept on doing that, and it's the same with the semi final losses. But it is interesting seeing that that it gets through to these people. And uh, yeah, I I always watch Maria Sachary and kind of just I don't want us to suffer as a as a tennis player. I mean, look, there's loads of great things that she's earning a fortune. She's it's a great life in so many ways. But clearly, she is so worked up by what happens out there and and it's some of these players they can leave and they've they've forgotten about it within an hour or they're on to the next thing i don't think she is and uh, so i want her to at least have enough success that she seems sort of enjoys life um and and i i personally think that i don't necessarily suddenly think oh right now i expect her to go to the australian open and win it but i i do think there's a a much better chance of her going in and absolutely performing to whatever her potential is. And I'm not exactly sure still what that is. But I'm I'm absolutely sure that there have been lots of matches she's lost at Grand Slams and other events which haven't been what she's capable of, that she's capable of more and she's not been able to produce it. I think that maybe there's a way to harness the feeling of Guadalajara. Which, by the way, what an event, what an event, uh, packed full of people. I think that that's probably one of the reasons she was able to enjoy it so much. It's a party atmosphere, it's wonderful what they put on. Maybe she can harness that elsewhere.
2: Packed, enthusiastic crowds for a depleted field, for for quite a lot of matches that, you know... Matches where the crowd aren't there for the names and the stars. They're yeah, just, I mean Caroline Dollerheim. They just, with, with they're just there to watch women's tennis, and it's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, and it, it's brilliant. I know that there's lots more that that goes into a great tennis event than the front-facing stuff that we see when we're not there. But it just looks so good to see the crowds that packed and that enthused. It just. F- f- felt like a big deal um and it, yeah it was it was wonderful to see
4: yeah and and just actually uh, i mean i i i would rather watch a tournament like that with a big crowd and less star names um that's sport to me that's just the whole the whole point and i mean i mentioned caroline dolihide and i and i know that yeah, I am damning her with faint praise because she is not somebody who you stick on a poster at this point in her career and, and people automatically come watch. I mean, she was ranked outside the world's top 100 before this week. But what a great story she's made of a, of, of this week, having, you know, taken advantage of a depleted field. But she, she actually won a, a three tie break match in the first round against Peyton Stearns. Um, which, you know, look how she's just completely changed her fortunes around. That's taken her up 69 places in the rankings inside the top 50 when she could have lost in the first round to somebody else who might have gone and done exactly the same thing in Stearns. And then she had another one where she came and she won an 11-9 second set tie break against Martina Trevisan when she was down a set to love. Great, great little stories within the, the overall story. Trevisan
2: having beaten Ons Drabur in the previous round. Um, and that was, I mean, great win for Trevisan, but it was a bit of a tough scene for Ons Jabur, wasn't it? And just on the subject of, you know, maybe taking breaks. I'd, I mean, look, I've just said that I shouldn't be listened to with regards to uh, imploring players to take breaks, but I really would not mind if if Ons Drabur decided to, to take a step back for a few weeks at this stage.
3: Yeah, it was... The same thing happening that's happened in a lot of her matches since Wimbledon, really, where she was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't peak on Shabur by any means, but she put herself in a position to win the match, serving for it up 5-4 in the second set, 30 love up in that game. So just a couple of points away. And then as that finish line was nearing, she suddenly got really, really tight. And then in the in the third set, really faded physically and... Trevisan took advantage of that. And yeah, just we said it throughout the US Open, but the vibes are off with Jabeur at the moment. And she's a player who's so, so much about the good vibes that it I think it jars even more with her than it does other players. Um, but, you know, she's not taking a break. She's playing, uh, playing this week in, in China as well.
2: Yeah, the WTA is back in China, made its return last week to Guangzhou, the 250 event there. And the title was won by a Chinese player, Wang Zhiyu. Her first WTA title, she beat Magdalene Love and two in the final. En route to that final, she also beat Grit Minnan, Victoria Harunka-Kova. Confirm that pronunciation for me, expert Matt. Perfect. Perfect, thank you. Of course, she, she is formerly Kuzmova. Uh Diana Schneider, who... Um, she's one of those players that I'm just... Every time a name comes up, I'm going to say she's good. I don't know why she's not happening, but I really think she's good. Uh, and Nadia Podoroska. Um Matt, very helpfully, I think at the US Open, came up with a fail-safe way for us to remember, uh, like, like with the Bryan brothers... Uh, which is uh, Wang Jinyu and which is Wang Jiyu? Because they only have one letter difference in their name, but one is a lefty and one is a righty. And Matt?
3: Jiyu uh, is the lefty, and we know that because her name has has four letters, like left, L-E-F-T, X-I-Y-U, and Jinyu is the right-hander, like right, R-I-G-H-T, five letters, X-I-N-Y. You, five letters. I probably didn't need to spell those out. That was probably totally <laughs> unnecessary. But yes, that is how I remember now.
2: That that uh, little method has saved me and will continue to save me so many frustrating and disappointing trips to the WTA website <laughs> over the years. So uh, I appreciate you, Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, WTA returning to China, title won by young Chinese player
4: mm. and, and first of all great scenes in that final as well she played well i mean she just knocked magdalenette off the court she really hits a heavy ball and uh being a left-hander i got the feeling that she really used her left-handedness to great effect in the final and she was in tears on match point. It was very, very similar scenes to Maria Sakkari in that way. You're watching it and you feel what she's feeling, which is great. Still can't help watch events in China and just think, "Crikey, it's as though it's as though the kind of boycott and the stance that the WTA took never happened." And if you need the reminder. Steve Simon and the WTA announced that they weren't going back to China until they were absolutely convinced that uh, Peng Shui could speak independently and uh, free from coercion, and and have an investigation into to her accusations that she laid out in that social media post. And of course, they did go back, and here we here we are. Um, and and I think probably it it rankles more even more because the reason they really went back is for money and uh yet they're not back at Shenzhen where the WTA finals were supposed to be so that isn't happening and they're uh, instead in Cancun which is going to i suspect be a rather different financial proposition and we have this tournament in Guangzhou at the same time as we have an ATP tournament in China on with vastly different prize money levels. So, I don't know. It just feels unsatisfactory all around.
2: Yeah, five uh, Chengdu ATP 250 this week, which hasn't reached its conclusion. The two men's events happening last week into this week, the start with start and finish delay due to Davis Cup, Zhuhai and Chengdu, but Chengdu 250 has more than five times the prize money of Guangzhou 250. And I know that WTA have their path to equal prize money. That's a great thing. Um, and hopefully those targets will be met. And by 2027, we will have equal prize money, but that doesn't make it any more sickening to see in 2023. Um, We will uh, update you on what's going on in Zhuhai and Chengdu shortly. Those tournaments are at the semi-final stage and all of those semi-finals scheduled to happen at the same time. Well done, tennis. Um, But we'll start in Vancouver with the men's and the Lever Cup, which was won... 13-2 to by Team World over Team Europe. Um, And it was won in the first match, the doubles match, on the final day, meaning that the remainder of the matches played on the final day were, ironically, exhibition matches. (laughs) Um, I feel like every year we're like... Are we going to go over the same ground? We always go over with Labour Cup, which is having our existential debate about it, which isn't really a debate because I think we all agree. Um, But enter Guillaume Ofis and Félix Auger Aliassime to have the existential debate for us on the court. Honestly, you could not have scripted it Any better? It was like Gael Monfils broke the fourth wall, (laughs) and it 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 all played out in living colour. And David texted the group and said, "Should we just play out that audio rather than doing our usual segment on the Labor (laughs) Cup?" It was it was quite extraordinary actually. Waking up to obviously it was it was all happening overnight for us, so we were waking up to a lot of a lot of Labor Cup content. On social media the following morning, and they do do a fantastic job of content. And it has to be said, the this clip which went everywhere from the Labour Cup feed, the camera and microphone work was extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. They captured the whole thing. Honestly, if 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 you asked somebody to write a short story or a mini play to illustrate the existential tension within the Labour Cup, you could not have written, <laughs> produced or directed it any better. Bravo, Gail and Félix Auger-Aliassé. <laughs> yes.
4: Yeah, because I think overall, those that participate in the Labour Cup have got the memo that this is meant to matter and we're all meant to be absolutely dialed in and care about blue or red and the branding of it is remains incredibly good it's so the the blue and the red pop off the tv off that gray court they say it's black it looks grey to me anyway i say this every year but you know John McEnroe and all these other people, they look so wound up about this event and they they really want to win it and they really care and they really go for it. And then out comes Gail Monfils, who's been drafted into Team Europe, which is massively depleted in the absence of, obviously, Rafael Nadal, who can't play at the moment and may not have played anyway. Novak Djokovic, who isn't playing. Carlos Alcaraz, who isn't playing. Dan Omevedev isn't playing, Alexander Zverev isn't playing. All these players that have played it in the past just aren't there. So what does Team Europe do? I guess you would think that they would go to the next highest ranked player and bring that player in or somebody else high ranked. uh, But instead they go and they get uh, 142 in the world ranked. Galmon Fiste to come in, who I calculated has at least 70 players ranked above him who could have been selected for Europe. Um, and look, I understand why they've got him in a, he's a, he's won big matches in the past, but he's also a fun time. He is, you put him on the order of play. There are a lot of people who want to come and watch him just because it's him because he's fun. He appeared to believe that that's what he was there for as well. And after what, five games he's playing a rally in which he disagrees with the line call and he goes and sits in the line judge position for about 30 seconds and kind of hams up the fact that he believes that the ball was out but no it's Hawkeye live so he can't over And the crowd are laughing and Monfils is laughing Felix Auger isn't laughing <laughs> he wants to know why Gael Monfils isn't being given a time violation for for taking 30 seconds between points and it sits down, asking the umpire, "Why? Do, what are we playing? Is this an exhibition, or is this uh, is this an ATP tournament? Are we playing ATP rules or not?" On and on this goes, and uh, eventually, Gail Monfils comes around to his side of the court and starts having a conversation with him, and they're they're having it out, and then and then you get the two teams talking independently and that camera work and that mic work you referenced, Catherine, which was fantastic the way, the way it started with Monfils saying, listen, I don't need to be here. I could, I, if I don't want to play a tournament, I don't play a tournament. I could be here with my kid. This is They said they wanted me to come and it's a grade. It'll be just free and you can do what you want. And then you it flicks over to Ogilvy and saying, what did they tell him when he came here? You know, this is supposed to be serious. This is, you know absolutely this is what we've been going on for the last six years about what event is this is this serious is it an exhibition okay if it's serious yes we've had a, a 14-1 now we've had a 13-2 that adds to its legitimacy i suppose but you don't bring in the world number 142 in the world if you absolutely dead cert need to win no matter what and you you'd I've seen this before in tournaments that I've worked within on the Champions Tour and and more recently on tiebreak tens. I used to say to them, "If you want people to take it seriously, you need to hi- you need to bring in players based on a on a, a ranking, and it needs to be serious." And they say, "Yeah, but maybe we should maybe we should bring John McEnroe into play because everybody loves to watch him." You are saying, "Well, yeah, but John McEnroe is sixty; <laughs> he shouldn't be playing, right? Which do you want to be?" you want it to be an exhibition and you can have John McInerney in this instance you can have Gal Moffice, and you can get him to bring the ball kid in and play a rally and all the rest of it or you want to play it serious and actually have a proper tennis match and yes you might have an underarm serve you might have, a, have a Nick, Nick, Nick Kyrgios moments etc but it's not hamming it up just for fun and I'm afraid I can't get worked up about the score in these matches I think the tennis is good we've had loads of emails saying how much people have enjoyed it who've been in the stadium that's great I just I'm just not bothered who wins I'm glad I'm glad it exists as a form of entertainment it packs the place out but the the event and all the organisers and all the commentators and all the players they try to convince you that it really matters who wins well it might matter to all of you lot who work for it and are paid by it but I
3: couldn't give a monkeys personally
2: any advance
4: on that, Matt?
3: <laughs> I'm still thinking about David saying John McEnroe is 60. <laughs> Plus,
4: 60 is about 64 now.
3: <laughs> Bless him;
4: he still plays incredible tennis. But <laughs> sorry, um, yeah, I
3: think look, there's there's so many things about the Labour Cup. It really does get everyone talking. To you know, to its credit, it it is sort of an event that you know people do have opinions on and. As you said, I'm I'm broadly pleased that the Labour Cup exists. It's given us some some good content moments. I think that feels like a good word for actually for what it does produce really really well over the years. Um, I think it needs it needs star power, and John McEnroe essentially said that on the eve of this tournament. You know, it was noticeable this year how how much weaker the field was, and he's he's worried about that sort of in the long term, in terms of you know. For those ticket prices, you need to have the best players there, ideally. Um, I also think it could do a little bit of a of a shake-up in terms of just bringing some, some new faces in. You know, John McEnroe, Patrick McEnroe, Bjorn Borg, Thomas Enqvist. Like, I sort of feel like the tournament's Done them now, and look. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to some absolute legends of the sport there, but I just think some some newer faces would just sort of freshen it up every year and, and just 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 make it seem a bit a bit different to the previous edition. Um, I think we spend a lot of time talking about where it fits in the tennis calendar, and I'm very very aware that most tennis fans probably don't really care about that like i think for for a lot of casual tennis fans there are four events that really really matter and those are the grand slams obviously and then there's sort of everything else and this is a very appealing everything else because it's you know concentrated the branding is fantastic uh you know the schedule well in advance you know who's going to be there the format's a bit different like i totally get why it appeals to a lot of people, and why they have such a good time going to that event. I'm sure if I was a casual tennis fan, I would love this event and would probably want to go uh, because of the show that it puts on. I, I totally understand all that, and I I get that most people are not thinking about how much it it really matters in the grand scheme of the tennis calendar. They they just want to see, you know, the names they know and have some fun over a three day period. I think that's why the event works in its current format. But for us, I'm really starting to think about how it's going to evolve so that we're not having this conversation every year about what does it mean and where it fits in the tennis calendar. And to me, it's, it's always been possible that it goes one of two ways, ultra, ultra serious or clearly an exhibition. And it's always felt to me much easier that it would go and better probably that it would go the exhibition route because tennis already has the team events that matter to people in terms of the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup. That's, you know, if we're trying to create a Ryder Cup of tennis, like tennis doesn't really need that because it already has its own team events. You know, the Ryder Cup so important to golf because it is the team event. The team events that matter in tennis are so clearly the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup. And, you know, <laughs> those events have got their own problems that we know about. But the Labour Cup to me is, is, should exist outside of that and it should be, you know, yes, a fun exhibition that, sure, it matters to those players on the day, but let's not make it counting an ATP head to heads and let's not pretend on the broadcast that it's anything more than just a very, very fun good event for three days you know it doesn't need to have wider significant meaning for it to still be enjoyable I think and it's it's never felt like it's quite got that balance right with the Labour Cup and maybe this year more than ever because clearly the teams were weak and clearly as Monfils said he was there because you know he's there to sell tickets and put on a show and we we don't need to be told that it's (laughs) that it's sort of life-changing for for these players to have won the labor cup and got one over on 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 the opposition i don't know it just it always just never quite never quite makes sense when they put it in those terms
2: yeah the the, just stop the whole um labor cup counting towards atp head-to-heads thing get rid of that and and like 50% of what winds me up goes goes away. That <laughs> winds me up so much. Like, I really want to be positive about the Labour Cup. This is people... That, there's not a lot of unproblematic money being poured into sport at the moment. You know, most people coming with a big check paycheck for your sport, it comes with pretty major strings attached. And I'm glad that the strings attached here are... Um, illegitimate ATP head-to-head statistics rather than um, dismembered journalists. But there's really no need for the illegitimate ATP um, head-to-head statistics. Like, I'm I'm just repeating myself, this annual chat, there's no need to make it something that's not. People can still come and have a wonderful time without being sold sold a lie. Um, and I'm not saying the players are like the people involved. Like, they clearly love it and do care, but that's not the same about the sport caring about the results. Um, and, yeah, I mean, t- David, we used to work on the Champions Tour. I, for 10 years, for a decade, I worked on the Masters event at the Royal Albert Hall, the crowning event of the Champions Tour every year in this incredible venue, incredible staging. I loved working on it. I loved promoting that event. I loved playing a part and making the absolute best it could be. I loved seeing how much people loved it. And I was so pleased that that event existed and had a place within the sport. Would I have bought a ticket for that event? No, not in a million years. Would we ever have talked about the result on it on the podcast like it mattered? No, not in a million years. But I, it was wonderful and I'm glad it existed and it wasn't trying to be something that it wasn't. And, and end of chat.
4: Mm. Yeah, and actually, the, 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 the interesting parallel is that John McEnroe used to want that to be massively competitive as well. He did <laughs> he want did. to beat everybody and he went out to beat them all and he was really annoyed that the others weren't doing that and he used to get wound up by Leconte and and Barami if they played tricks against him and and stuff like that because it's supposed to be serious and we could be a champions tour like golf. And I think that's where really we we have to probably stop the golf comparisons. Golf was able to have a senior tour because it didn't really matter as much the physical state of the players when they were older, whereas in tennis it really does. And Mackinac did an incredible job of keeping himself fit so he could play at a high level. Not a lot of them could, and in golf they can rider cup yesterday we saw it in solheim cup i i was glued to every minute of that because i really did care about who wins out of us and europe i just the the world thing has never worked mm. it never will work you can't get wound up about what happens to team world we're all part of team world for god's sake um but but also the difference being that they're not manufacturing this scoring system to keep it live on the final day, which didn't even work because it was so one-sided as it turned out. But in the, in the golf, you could have these 12 simultaneous matches all going on at the same time and therefore something happening every minute of the of the thing. You can't have that in tennis if you want to keep all the focus on one court. The reason Davis Cup works is because it's nation against nation, because everybody's so... Cares and the big and Billie Jean King Cup, the big problems they have is when they're not home and away. We've established that. So, w- my biggest feeling of it all is I wish some of the effort and money and affection and emotion that is being put into Labour Cup by John McEnroe by Roger Federer, by all these people was just invested into those two competitions and some stake given if need be in the organisation or a place on the board or whatever. John McEnroe put heart and soul into Davis Cup as a player. He never missed a tie. He loved it with all his heart and he hated what it became. And so he started speaking out about it and saying it was on life support. The number of times I heard him say that. And I understand that it's because because he was hurt. He felt hurt by... He felt people no longer taking notice of it and players no longer playing it if, if they were eligible. I wish they would put this emotion back into making that what he's trying what they're putting into Labour Cup, which it will never achieve. And yet the Davis Cup really could do with it and really could become that event, as could the Billie Jean King Cup. So that's where my great frustration comes. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
2: Just while we're on the subject of, uh, of Davis Cup, the draw for the final and schedule was done and announced... This week, it'll start on Tuesday, the 21st of November with Canada against Finland. A reminder that it is all knockout matches at the Davis Cup final. So Canada against Finland. Then it is Czechia against Australia on the Wednesday. Thursday is two quarterfinal ties, Italy against the Netherlands and Serbia against Great Britain. And then the semi-finals would be Canada or Finland against Czechia or Australia, and then Italy or the Netherlands against Serbia or Great Britain, and then obviously the the final. Um, I, I, I won't I just read out all the names <laughs> again for you, um, but just obviously what jumped out to us there is Serbia against Great Britain, and the the possibility maybe of Murray Jokovic one last time. No, Matt's shaking his head. No.
3: <laughs> I just don't see how that would be possible with the way that the that you have to do your team oh, rankings.
2: Yes, the uh, the the rule that was introduced as a result of Switzerland Russia Gate.
3: <laughs> no, no. I mean <laughs> that rule was in place, which is why. Russia did what they did oh. to try and circumvent that rule. I suppose maybe maybe if if Britain wanted to try and circumvent yeah, that rule. Yeah, maybe Britain could do something yeah. <laughs> dastardly
2: to circumvent that
3: rule. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you have to match your number one, you know, you have to play your number one, S P playing the number one slot. And it's, it's all done you by You can't ranking. imagine
4: how Murray could ever be number one in that team, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, but oh. given, the, given the possibilities for Britain you know, they were either going to face Italy or they were going to face Serbia. I mean, the thing is with Serbia, obviously we expect Novak Djokovic to be there and that that feels like a pretty much sort of guaranteed loss pretty much in that number one position barring a sort of miracle from, I don't know, Norrie or Evans or Draper. But actually the number two singles and the doubles are, are winnable ties, I think, for Great Britain. So it's maybe not the worst draw in the world, even with, you know, the presence of Novak Djokovic there.
2: Uh, staying with the men, as I said, we have the ATP in Zhuhai and Chengdu this week. They're at the semifinal stages in Zhuhai. The semifinals are Hashanov against Korda and Karatsev against Nishioka. And in Chengdu, it's Zverev Dimitrov and Safulin Musetti. Do we have anything to say about those, or should we wait until the next pod when the events are wrapped up?
4: Yeah, blank faces. I, I, okay. I, I no
2: would probably put pref-
3: thoughts.
4: I prefer to do that, Catherine. I think. I mean, I know that uh, Karatz have beat Murray from a set down the other day, and and he's he's just. I just find him an interesting player because if he's on, if he connects, there's not a lot that an opponent can do about it. Um, but then he has these periods where he doesn't connect and nothing much happens but I mean it's it's quite interesting I think one of our colleagues Courtney Walsh is uh, an Australian journalist who's working for the uh, at the Zuhai tournament and he's been actually reporting and, and and writing I think for the for the website of that that event and I mean he he paints an amazing picture of that place and and they seem to be getting great crowds which suggests that the actual use of a weekend almost in the middle of the tournament is is extending the, the period of, of interest, I suppose. But it does feel weird, you know, from the outside to, to have tournaments finishing on a Tuesday.
3: Absolutely mm. terrible for podcasters who plan their weeks around t- tournaments finishing <laughs> on a Sunday so we can talk about them <laughs> on a Monday.
2: <laughs> yeah, disaster. It feels like a Feels like a direct troll (laughs) to us, to be honest. Uh, But we will uh, wrap up those tournaments for you on the pod next week. Uh, Shout out to Liam Brodie. He broke into the top 100 this week for the first time. Uh, We always have a soft spot for Liam because he's good people. Um, He spoke to us during the pandemic and gave us a really uh, interesting perspective on, well, always gives a really interesting perspective on life as kind of, a struggling tennis player outside the world's elite. I was going to say outside the world's top 100, which is what he's always been up until now. And it's a real um, advert for perseverance because, it. look, he loves it. He loves that he gets to play tennis for a living and he's always got that incredible perspective. But it's also a struggle. It's not a bed of roses being a tennis player at that level. Um, And he loves the sport enough that he's... He's withstood all of that and for him to be reaching career highs is is impressive and very heartening. So congratulations, Liam. We also had the ITF presidential elections this week. David Haggerty re-elected with 72.94% of the votes, 318 votes uh, over Dieter von Arnim, 118 votes for him. Uh, The ITF board were elected 14 board members. Only two of them are women. Um, Yeah, more women, please. More diversity on that board. More women and more general diversity in uh, tennis management and administration positions, please. I think that would be a good thing. Uh, This week, the WTA is... In Tokyo. It's a 500 event. It's got a good field. Igor Jessica Begula, Doric Hazatkina, Maria Sakari down to play, and Caroline Garcia. Not playing there though, and this is news hot off the press, is Elena Rabakina. She has withdrawn in the last couple of hours, and that withdrawal follows on from an Instagram post that she put up uh, yesterday, I think, or perhaps the day before. She was unhappy about performance buys, which is uh, a new thing introduced by the WTA, whereby instead of the top four seeds automatically receiving first round buys in the tournament, the top two, so in this case, Shontek and Pegula, receive those automatic buys. Plus, in this case, Garcia and Zachary, uh, getting the other two buys because of their performance in Guadalajara last week. Uh, she put on Instagram, Thank you for changing the rules last moment. Great decision, as always, WTA. And then two emojis, a clown and a circus. Uh, she, in her withdrawal statement, says, I have to prioritize my health and fitness and need time to get to 100% healthy. <sighs> clown clown and circus emoji i mean <laughs> nailed it <laughs>
3: yes i always enjoy it when Rebecca are back it goes off she did it did it last year didn't she around around the scheduling it always sort of slightly takes me back because she's you know that, that just isn't her personality on court but I do always enjoy it when when she sort of gets off her chest what she's what she's feeling and thinking um my understanding here is that this is yet again another issue of sort of bad communication. Um, because I I scoured the WTA rulebook, thinking there must be there must be something in there. They surely haven't just completely come up with this idea last moment and sort of dropped it on Elena Rubachina. Um There's there's a line in there. You know, for the 2023 rule books, this was made at the start of the year, talking about uh, Beijing and Wuhan and how four buys will be awarded at the Beijing tournament to the semi-finalists of the Wuhan tournament. So obviously Wuhan doesn't exist anymore. So I think maybe they've transferred that to this transition from Guadalajara to Beijing this week. And, you know, so, th- so they've laid the precedent there that this is possible to do these performance buys, to give them to people who've performed well at the tournament the week before. But it's very unclear in the rule book that it would be happening this week. Uh, it did apparently was it was on the w- on the fact sheet for the tournament that, that the players maybe get given or or not. I don't I honestly don't know how that works. So it d- does sound like it wasn't sort of a total Surprise, but maybe had been poorly communicated, and Rebecca hadn't seen it. Um, of course, this th- this to me all comes back to the idea of you know I don't like the idea of buys anyway. Um, my solution would be to get rid of those altogether. Seeding is already a form of protection in the draw and a reward. You know, you're kept away from other top players. And if we are going to have buys, honestly, given the very cluttered calendar, performance buys to me do make. Some kind of sense in terms of trying to help players who've done well the previous week, um, you know, to encourage them to play the next tournament rather than just pull out. I, I do, you know, we see that repeatedly and we always understand it. And if something can be done to maybe help those players, to me, that maybe does make some sense that maybe would be a good use of a buy rather than just giving it to the top players who are already protected in those draws because of their seeding. So, you know, I, I quite like the idea, I suppose, that, that the WTA is trialling this. And let's see how Garcia and Sachary get on this week with those performance buys. But I I can understand some of Rebecca's frustration as well. Seems like maybe she was even, you know, if she wasn't feeling 100%, she was perhaps factoring in the fact that she would have a buy and maybe that would help her get ready for the tournament. She's obviously now withdrawn. I do have some sympathy because I guess she hasn't been she hasn't been told clearly enough. Um, yeah, bit of a mess, but I did quite enjoy Rebecca's Instagram post.
2: <laughs> yeah, same. What Matt said, very good. <laughs> um, there is also a WTA event in Ningbo this week, a 250 event. Anjou Bur and Petra Kvitova headlining there. The ATP. Uh, After they're finished in Zhuhai and Chengdu, move on to Astana and Beijing. Uh, Astana is a 250. Beijing is a 500. Both of those start midweek and end mid the following week. So yet more catastrophe for (laughs) podcasters. Great. Thank you very much for that. Uh, We have a winner in our AO Travel prize draw. You remember... Uh, We've been promoting the competition that we were running in partnership with AO Travel, who operate the travel programme for the Australian Open at the start of 2024 and every year um, to celebrate the launch of the AO Travel Lounge. They put together that incredible prize for one lucky tennis podcast listener. And a guest, and we can announce the winner of that prize. It is Vittorio Bassi. Vittorio is originally from Florence in Italy, but now lives and works in LA with his wife, Monica, and son, Eduardo. They're actually expecting their second baby in just a few days. So depending on when you're listening to this, Vittorio, congratulations. Uh, Vittorio says, my first reaction to opening the email was a mix of disbelief and joy. My only experience at a Grand Slam was one day at Wimbledon several years ago. I've never been to the Australian Open or Australia, so I very much look forward to going. My favourite tennis player from the past, although I still hope he can come back, is Juan Martin Del Potro. My favourite current player is Yannick Sinner. Go Yannick! Will Vittorio Go to the Australian Open dressed as a carrot is my question. (laughs) Uh, He continues, I most of all look forward to seeing the tennis in Melbourne and, of course, to exploring the city as well. I hope I can bring my mum with me to Melbourne, also an avid tennis fan. Lovely stuff, Vittorio. Congratulations. We hope you have a wonderful time. We know... Uh, Lots of you will have entered that prize draw and will be disappointed not to win. Uh, My dad included saw him yesterday, most disgruntled. Uh, But we do hope to arrange further prize draws in the future. And don't forget that we still have a 500 Australian dollar discount available for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. That is running until the end of October. If you would like to arrange an AO travel premium lounge package to visit the Australian Open in Style. Uh, The links to check out what they have to offer and how to become a friend to access that discount are, of course, in our show notes. One last bit of promo for you, and that is that the Wimbledon History Conference is taking place on Friday, the 3rd of November at Wimbledon, and they have a very special guest speaker. Let me just look up his name. Hang on a second. Where is he? It's Matt Roberts, ladies and gentlemen.
3: (laughs) Yes, please come, people. (laughs) (laughs) What a ledge. Um...
2: Yes, Matt will be speaking about Tennis Relived. Thank you to Robert for inviting Matt and for um think thinking of us and tennis relived. We're um we're honoured and Matt will be excellent. So if you want to go, tickets are on sale now on sale now and the link is in our show notes uh, to buy those. It is. It's going to be like the era's tour of tennis history. <laughs>
4: uh, and, and unmissable. You, you get entry, I think, Matt, as well into the. You get to have a look at the tennis library at Wimbledon and the museum, and you get to visit Centre Court, don't you?
3: That is all true. Yes.
2: As I said, the era's tour of tennis history. <laughs> the link is in our show notes. We have some great dog and some great cat as our mascots for this week. They are Flash and Pashmack, owned by Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin says, I got Flash shortly after relocating to Dubai for work. I was working a lot and felt my life was a bit bleak. All work and no play. So there I was late one night, a little tipsy on port, texting a pet store owner, That's how things are done over here. And to my surprise, I've been sent a video of the cutest male multi-poo. As soon as I saw him, I thought to myself, that's Flash. Surprising myself as I never planned that name or anything. Uh, He had a white lightning strike on his forehead that reminded me of Flash Gordon. So here we are a year or so later and he's the sweetest, sassiest, loving, friendly dog uh, I could ever have hoped for. And uh, he then continues. I then adopted his fur brother Pashmak, so they can keep each other company while uh, at home. At home while I'm working, Pashmak is a rescue cat whose rescue mom is Iranian, and Pashmak is an Iranian sweet. And he got that name because he's a sweet boy. And honestly, at Avid listeners will know animals being friends is my very favourite thing, and uh, this this has really warmed my heart. They they're sharing a bed, they're looking up to camera, and they are both absolutely lovely. Uh, and that picture will be in our newsletter. We have our mascots: David's got Maisie, I've got Zenya and Matt's got Darwin. We did not see Caroline Dollahide coming this week. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I lost my prediction within about an hour and a half of making it. And you I also did. had a backup who was Rinky Hijikata and he promptly lost in two hours of me making that.
2: <laughs> Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Ilana Kloss. We have top folks and executive producers Jamie, Hannah, and Drew, and we have shout
3: outs. We have Caesar Sangerlang in California. Do we? All right, Caesar. Now, maybe it's hello fessar, but i'm I'm going with Caesar
4: amazing God,
2: I love that that's a big name to live up to, isn't it? An emperor name? <laughs> I
4: reckon Caesar can pull it off. yeah, well, you've got to, you've got no choice. <laughs> well, by being a shout out on the tennis podcast is not a bad way to start, so you know, thanks very much, Caesar.
2: I love that we have a Caesar. thank you, Caesar.
3: We've also got Sarah Bradley, who is in Wolverhampton-ish. Sorry, David.
4: Um, Okay, Sarah. You know, Wolverhampton-ish is near to West Bromwich, uh, which is where my team's from. So, you know, maybe we can just say you're from West Bromwich and call it quits there.
2: (laughs) Sarah (laughs) Borwell?
4: Yes. Wow. He's a tennis player. Are we
2: talking Sarah with an H or without an H?
3: With an
4: H.
2: With an H, okay. Uh,
4: there aren't as many Sarah tennis players' names that, as I would expect. There's quite
2: a lot of, of Sons H Sarahs, aren't there? Sarah Sribes, Tormo, yes. Sarah Rani. Mm-hmm. But no, I've done Sarah Ball well, though, so we've done Sarah Proud. You have. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah.
3: And finally, we've got Robert Batista.
2: Alright, oh, Robert. Hello.
3: Who is Hello? No, well, I don't believe this is Roberto Bautista Agu, but Robert Batista, very similar, and he is in Melbourne, Florida.
4: Whoa. Okay, my head's going all over yeah, the place. Me too.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: okay. I mean this sounds like a fake name, doesn't it? This is this is this is someone's someone's burner account. Um, Wow. Okay. Hello, Robert. Like Robert M- McNichol, the F- <laughs> Wimbledon librarian. Well, the now promoted Wimbledon li- librarian, but in our hearts will always be the Wimbledon <laughs> librarian. Yeah. Um, and like Roberto Bautista <laughs> Ragoo. <laughs> yeah. And Melbourne, like Melbourne, the home of the Australian Open. Except for the next Flora. Grand Slam. Except in Florida, the home of the Miami <laughs> Open. Indeed. There you go, Robert. Robert,
4: thank you.
2: Thank you ever so much. Thank you to all of our friends of the Tennis Podcast. As always, if you would like to become a friend, the link to do that is in our show notes. We'll be back in a week's time to (laughs) wrap up the tournaments that have finished and the ones that haven't quite finished, annoyingly, uh, and hopefully to brag about our win at the British Podcast Awards, which we'll all be attending on Thursday. Exciting. We are nominated, folks, (laughs) finally. Uh, Yeah, we were nominated in the best sports category and we won't win, but we're very excited to be going. We might, we might. We are very much the David in that David and Goliath situation. So, wish us luck, and we'll speak to you in a week and let you know how we get on.
0: target.